0: Hello everyone, I'm Robbie Swale, and this is the 12-minute method podcast. And in this podcast, I'm going to be investigating how we can beat procrastination, be more productive, and finally do those things we have been meaning to do. And in season one, what that means is I'm going to be reflecting on a number of things that I mostly first wrote about together in one place in the in the about the author section of the 12-minute method books, in book one in particular. Um These are things that over my life I have procrastinated on, thought I might not get done, and then finally done in the end. And in each episode, I'll spend up to 12 minutes reflecting on one of those things um, and sharing those reflections with you, hoping to identify patterns, things that you can use, ways that you can finally do the things that you've been meaning to do. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 12. And as you know, you might have, if you just listened to episode 11, you might have heard the origin of this episode. It happened midway through. I suddenly thought, ah, I could do an episode about meditation. Um, So I think this episode, once we've reflected on episode 11 and I've pulled out some of the insights and some of the extra things that that jumped out at me from that, um, we're going to do it. We're going to have an experimental 12 minute method podcast episode where I'm going to talk about meditation. And then if I've got time, I'm going to talk about gratitude. And if I've got time, I'm going to talk about riding a bike. Um, and otherwise, riding a bike might make it into um, the, the the last episode of the series or something like that. So, um, first of all, to reflect on episode 11, I think it's worth just saying a couple of things about the the book, The Power to Choose, which I referenced there. So, I was talking to Jennifer Garvey-Berger on the Coach's Journey podcast, um, the, the October episode of that, about this. Um, you know, it, it emerged from my coaching engagement with Joel, right? Like, how rich an engagement was that? So, the same place the practice emerged from, Joel said... Um, what would you like to meet? If we were to meet up at Christmas, it was September or at the time or August. If we were to meet up at Christmas, what would you love to tell me? And from nowhere came out of me that I'd written a book. Um, and he said, well, what would that, you know, what's a question that's occupying you? And it was, um, it was, is this new mindset, this new way of seeing the world that I'm developing valid? Um, and so there is a book which is about that, which has been through many, many redrafts and moved from being about 15,000 words to being about 90,000 words, has had help from a whole range of people, including um, particularly Alex Swallow, Steve Creek again, Lily Kambata and, and more. Um, and uh, Joni Svart, who I mentioned in the last episode. So loads of people have helped me with that book. And I'm sorry to all of you that it's not out there yet. Talking to Jennifer about it in that episode, you can listen to that. It's one of my favourite Coach's Journey podcast episodes just come out. Um, Made me think that probably 2023 will be the year for the power to choose. Um, But also during COVID, because it's a book really about a mindset to deal better with complexity, um, I released the first part of it. So you can read the first... I don't know, half of the book really is available for free on my website. I'll put a link again um, uh, in the show notes. It was in the show notes for the last episode as well. Um, you can download a PDF or a Word document of that book or you can read them on my website or on LinkedIn. So, so check that out. Um, it is worth pulling out um, from episode 11 on the, all those reflections about the books, that trick I use on myself about audience. So one of the reasons I don't share my work um, is just all the stories I tell myself that it's not as, it, you know, it won't reach enough people, it, you know, it's not important. Um, and and as the wisdom of David Gemmell's story in episode um, two spells out, key for me is that 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 trick. Well, is it worth it? How many people need to get a benefit from this for me to it, to have been worthwhile me sharing it? And the answer is one. But there's another one, which is like, I'm not doing this thing. Who's benefiting from that? Is it me? No, not really, because the people that would want to learn about my work can't learn about it. Is it the people who want to learn about my work? No. So who's benefiting? No one. So I better do it. Um, There were two tensions in there. You know, is it resistance or not resistance to to spend time publishing a book, uh, to spend time setting up a mailing list? Is it, you know, what? Or, or, and the other one was, good is having it out by Christmas, better is to work with the publisher. And those tensions, you know, is it resistance? Is it my soul calling? Um and is it better to have it out or better to have it better those are tricky tensions and i just think reflecting they're just things we have to wrestle with if we're going to make these things um, and, and kind of feel into them quite a lot trust our intuition I, I just caught that i talked in that episode about sending proposals to publishers and i was able to apply from that things i'd learned in my coaching business so the proposal is success right sending the thing to the publisher counts as something worth celebrating not the result from that because i can't control that um, there was also some nice little mindset tricks Tricks that I... I think it was actually me. I think I said it was Katie Harvey last time. I think it was her listening that created this for me, but I think it actually came from me. Katie, if you listen, let me know what you think. Um, which was kind of... Sounds like the sort of thing Robbie would do to send this off to at least a couple of publishers. It doesn't sound like the sort of thing I would do, or at least I would want to do, to not send it to any. So to find out what happens if I send it to some publishers. Because getting a deal from HarperCollins is better than self-publishing, probably, for a book reaching the most people, which is most of what I was interested in. Um, Another one that was in there was kind of, what would I say to someone else about doing this thing? And those are two great mind tricks. You can write out the answers to that. Sometimes it's enough to just say, oh, yeah, yeah. Um sometimes I play a trick on myself. Like if I was already a successful coach, if I was already a successful author, what would I do? And it's like, oh, I would just send it to some people, wouldn't I? But I'd also have a self-respect. I wouldn't send it to like a million. I wouldn't send it to people who I didn't want to work with. Um, those kind of things. Um a thing that I forgot about was a really key moment in the in in like deciding that self-publishing was a great option for me was a book that my brother-in-law Andrew gave me um and the family but I think Andrew chose and his family but I think Andrew chose it and it was a book by a guy called David Gochran um I uh, I think it's called Let's Get Digital and it's it was the first time I'd really heard anyone make the case not just that self-publishing was a good alternative to traditional publishing but that actually it was the best alternative for most people or many many people and Hearing that story told in that way was quite big for me. It's like, often it's really useful for me to get, you know, um, one of the things that Jennifer Berger talks about in her book, um, Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps, is we get trapped by simple stories. And... Hearing someone tell the alternative story is really good for me to shake out, shake myself out of a simple story. So I had a simple story about traditional publishing, that that was the only real option. The only, the only thing self-respecting people did that. Despite I knowing that wasn't true rationally, I still actually subconsciously held that story. And reading Gochran's book gave me an alternative, which is actually the only thing self-respecting entrepreneurial authors would do is self-publish. And his book is great for that. Um, and I can t- I'd love to talk to more people about that, tell that story more. So I might do that another time. And that's of course true because the world of publishing is massively disrupted. So it's worth saying that makes things harder. A lot of the things on the internet make things harder. It used to be that if you wanted to be an actor or you wanted to be a publisher or you wanted to be on TV, a TV presenter, you had to go through a certain set of hoops to get there. Um, And there were gatekeepers on those hoops, as Seth Godin would say. Now you can do anything. With a mobile phone, you can have your own TV channel on YouTube, you can publish a book on Amazon with a Word docu- or the PDF or a Word document. They'll even design your cover for you, although I think you should probably pay somebody to design your cover. Um, you know, you can do any of those things. Do yourself. And then the choice is, do you want to? And how do you make those choices? And that's hard. And that's where a lot of creative projects, in my view, stumble and sometimes fall. So that is um, some reflections on episode 11. The timer is already set up uh, for 12 minutes. So I'm going to press go and talk at first about meditation. Um, So like a lot of people, I had an interesting journey with meditation and essentially... I knew about it for a long time because my mum, for as pretty much as long as I can remember, was connected to a Buddhist community in the UK. My dad also had a, a probably 10 years of being very closely linked. So my mum was connected to Rigpa. My dad was very closely linked with Thich Nhat Hans Hanh's order in the UK. Some of you might have heard of him. Um, and so I was very aware of mindfulness and meditation. And I did a, a meditation class once in London and it didn't quite work for me. And I And then as time went on, I kind of had, and as I got into personal development and coaching and and seeing things differently, I kind of knew that it was a thing I should probably investigate more. And then I didn't do anything about that. Now, it's a little bit different to some of the other stories. It wasn't something I'd like wanted to do forever. um, But it is something that's undeniably good for me. And what's been interesting is I have never done it in the way that I thought, think that you're supposed to do it so this is one of the things that i think stopped me doing it the way you're supposed to do it is every morning you get up like an hour earlier than you otherwise would or you create an hour of space and you spend an hour sitting and breathing or with some beads or something else and i didn't really know what those other things were like mantras and i heard people on the tim Ferriss show talking about these kind of practices and i and my brother talking about it and all these kind of things and i didn't do it um and then here's how I started meditating. And it took me a long time to even start calling it meditating. But basically Joel, again, oh, so much to Joel Monk. Um, he said, I think you should develop a practice to get yourself ready for your coaching sessions. Um, about five minutes. And I was like, oh, okay. And I quite liked the idea of it. And I, I just kind of, again, like like Joel was a great mentor as well as a coach. I just trusted that he was onto something there. So I created one. And it was basically created from a bunch of things that I had Thought about. So, particularly, it was created from at first box breathing that I'd learned from Brene Brown at a talk in London in, in 2015 and been really affected by. Um, really simple exercise breathe in over a count of four, hold for a count of four, breathe out for a count of four, hold out for a count of four. Um, so, it was that, I was doing that a couple of times. Then it was saying some lyrics to myself. Joel said, maybe you should have some poetry or, in it. And there's an amazing middle eight of a Frank Turner song called I Knew Proof Rock before he got famous brilliant title, amazing song. Uh, If you want to look up the lyrics, it's the bit that starts, life is about love, last minutes and lost evenings. Um, So I would say that to myself aloud if I was by myself or quietly if I wasn't, then I would spend another five minutes breathing um, in that way. And that was the start of the practice, I think. And then, no, no, it wasn't, it wasn't because we'd done some work. So I was going to do this before every coaching session and Joel and I had done some work about, maybe this is where it came from, about what I'd said that this, um, this bit of coaching that I'd done had felt amazing, felt like the kind of coaching I wanted to do all the time. And so we did an exercise to really get into that. What did that feel like? What was it like? So in the, in this, in the practice that I did, the box breathing would go around a couple of times. I would say the lyrics, then I would Im- breathe in and imagine that feeling of coaching this woman come into me and breathe out, imagining the, the person that I was about to to speak to. So I was really embody, trying to embody that moment of amazing coaching that I had created with this, with this client and bring it to the conversation I was about to have. And uh, I did that a few times. And then one day I was coaching um, somebody and I was feeling all over the place, anxious, lots of thoughts. And I knew that wasn't ideal for coaching. And I did the exercise and it really changed that. And then I did the coaching and it was a great coaching session, one I was really proud of. And so that was when I knew I needed to keep this thing, this practice going. Now that practice has evolved over time. It's different now to how it was then. And I've also, I also added in a practice that Joel had given me. So, it, which was a, an easier practice, a kind of centering practice. Um, I can probably put a link to that uh, in the show notes. Um, I, I keep meaning to create a video of both these practices so that people can use them. But um Essentially, it was an eyes open centering practice, which really helped me because sometimes I was coaching in, you know, and walking to coaching across a bridge, and I was like, "You can do it on the bridge. You can do it on the train." Uh, Meditation doesn't have to be sitting down in a, you know, in a in a room on a cushion with some beads and a bell. Um, You know, it it can be whatever you want it to be. It's kind of meditation, mindfulness exercise. You know, the apps like Headspace and um, what's the Sam Harris one, whatever that's called now, Wake Up, I think it was called, or Wake App, um, and that they they help you with this as well because they're great for doing it anywhere so that was really powerful um, and then I'd got started, right? Then I had a meditation practice. And the more I coached, the more I meditated. And then it became really, and, and my coaching seemed better when I meditated, especially when I did a full 10 minutes. Um, I, I squeeze it quite a lot these days. Um, I'm not sure quite why that is. Um, and that became, the yeah, the way that I did it. And, and my practice, the, the practices that I do has evolved, but trying to hold that 10 minutes, max, minimum five minutes, if at all possible, for coaching, um, before, before coaching sessions is a really good way. Again, like I said last time, uh, tying a habit to something else you'll definitely do with a reason for doing it then is a really good way of, of creating a new habit. Um, what else do I want to say about that? So one of the things I do, if I sometimes, if I don't have the time for the practice before a coaching session, I do it in the coaching session with the client because they really, really, they almost always really like that. Um, because if everyone pretty much would benefit from slowing down more. Um, Another thing just to say about meditation And then I'm going to flip to gratitude For the second half of the 12 minutes I think Is um, When I'm getting my daughter to sleep I realised it was a really important time I couldn't tell Especially when she was a really little baby And I was carrying her against my chest I didn't know who was making who anxious Because I was stressed out Because she wasn't going to sleep And she might be crying Was that making her anxious And so I started to really focus on breathing in those times And it helps me and again, it helps me do some meditation um, or mindfulness practice, and I think it helps her. Uh, My wife actually started doing it first, and maybe I'd been talking about something like this. I'd like to take credit, but I think it's probably just her. She said she's changing her breathing, and that was really affecting it, and I think that that was happening with Leah too. You know, when I changed my, so when Emma changed her breathing, the baby changed her breathing, and when I changed my breathing, the baby changed her breathing as well, so it felt like it was really helpful for that, and again, the times when I'm just like, oh, please go to sleep, or let me leave you alone so that you can go to sleep. But she's the Leah is a, a two now, nearly two, and is saying no, come back. Basically, hold, stroke my back. Um, you know, I can do some breathing and it calms me down. And there, I often do a um, a, a breathing technique that I um that I learned about um, on maybe. I, maybe I'm going to do. Um, I'm just seeing the time ticking away. I'm not sure I'm going to get to gratitude totally today. So maybe I'll slow down on meditation. Um, Feels like app that I should slow down on a meditation episode. So um, now, quite often when I'm when I'm with Leah, what I do is I breathe in for four and out for eight, or in for three and out for eight, or I just focus on. Here was the thing. So so that is something I learned about from a, a piece about how to hack the vagus nerve, which is what, what part of the nervous system that turns us from um, our threat mode, feeling under threat, to feeling in a social connection mode. And if you breathe in for half an in. Uh, and then out for twice as long. That helps you move into the connection parts of of, of our of our biology. Um, it's also connected to the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. But I forget which one is which. Whichever one though is the one you want to be in is triggered by breathing out. And so that's part of why it happens. Um, but uh, but another thing that with meditation that really helped with me is I was like, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm just counting breaths. I don't know. And then someone told me that if you just pay attention to the the place where you're. Uh, the place where you feel your breath going in through your nose. And that was way easier for me. And then another insight that was super useful for me, came from Tim Ferriss, which was, he said he didn't realize that the, it's really important for him to know what the rep is. So he's a, he likes exercise. It's like the rep is when you, in, in, if you're at the gym, it's when you lift the, the weight up or it's when you do the burpee or do the press up. Um, and, you know the number of reps you do is a sign of how well you're exercising um and, or often i mean you know you can do too many but um the key thing he, his insight about meditation which is so useful for me is the rep is bringing your attention back to your breath or to whatever you're focusing on to the the feeling of the peak coaching experience to the box breathing to that bit of of um that bit of, of skin where you can feel your breath going in and out through your nose so like Every time you bring it back, that's a success. So, because what used to happen to me in meditation or mindfulness before is, you know, my, I would realize I wasn't doing it. Then my thoughts would go to, oh, I'm not paying attention to my breath. What is going on here? What an idiot. Why can't I do this simple thing? This is pointless. I should give up. And as soon as I knew no successes, the thing to practice is bringing my attention back to my breath, bringing my attention back to my nervous system in the centering exercise to what's arising. Then, then that made things a lot easier. And instead of beating myself up, I could just stay with it. So it's just, just keep coming back. That's the practice. The more times I come back, the better. That was a real shift for me. And that actually led to a really important insight about commitment, which for me is that when you're trying to train yourself to keep a commitment, to keep a habit, the absolutely key moment, the rep of commitment is when you've slipped. So when you've had a day or a coaching session when I don't do my meditation, what do I do next time? Do I recommit? Which is the rep of commitment, of building up the ability to commit. Or do I give up and recommitting again? It's like, that's the rep. That's success. Every time you recommit, you're training yourself to commit to things, to keep commitments. The same with mindfulness. Every time you bring your attention back, you're training yourself to bring your attention back to keep it focused. You, you know, you're never going to keep your attention focused. I remember hearing, um, Rain Wilson, who plays Dwight in the, in the US version of The Office talking about this. You know, you're never going to keep your, your attention that, long when you're meditating he says no, he doesn't say this as Dwight he says this as, as as himself so it's like if you can do it for a few seconds that's amazing but mostly it'll take you'll be just constantly bringing your attention back to the thing but that's the rep as Ferris would say and so that's important it's also worth saying that I remember Joel saying to me with the centering practice he did um which again I'll put a link to that that like the what is it? Like it took about two or three years before he started seeing the results of it. Now that wasn't quite true for me, but after two or three years, I did start to see with the centering practice. So I saw the meditation results with my coaching straight away, and that was important. But with the the, the centering practice, which is more about opening up the nervous system and allowing whatever comes up, the sounds, the sights, the sensations, to you, allowing yourself to notice them, training yourself to really be a an instrument for what's happening in the world. That did take me a couple of years, and after a couple of years, I started to notice my peripheral vision getting better. All these things changing because of the practice. Um, so, look, I know many people want to start a meditation practice. Many people know how much, how useful it is, and I hope that this one, th- this episode, which yeah, I, maybe I'll come back to gratitude next time, maybe not. Um, but I hope this episode has really helped you. To think about, and I hope it helps you start a meditation practice. And that's part of that's because there's a great bit in my one of my favourite books by one of my favourite authors, Jonathan Haidt, in his book The Happiness Hypothesis. um, He says this amazing thing, which is like, uh, if if there was a medication which was all natural ingredients, no side effects, um, it was uh, it would you know improve your mental health, improve your resilience, lower your stress, improve your physical health, um, would you take it? This pill exists. It is meditation, and so the, the evidence for meditation is is so strong. And look, in some ways, I'd love it if I did silent retreats every week, um, and if I, uh, or every month, or, or whatever, and I did an hour of meditation every day. I'm sure that would be better. But like a lot of this series, a small practice tied onto my coaching is much better than doing nothing. Um, and so I'm I'm sure that that contributes to my mental health. And I noticed that I feel less stressed on days when I do a lot of coaching. And I think that's partly because coaching is actually a mindfulness exercise because I have to keep bringing my attention back to the person I'm coaching. But it's also because I do these little mindfulness practices before every, um, yeah, before every uh, session. So I'm wishing you a wonderful rest of the day and I hope to have you back with us on the 12 Minute Method podcast sometime soon. Okay, just a couple more things before you head out to whatever else you've got going on in the rest of your day. Um, If you want to find out a bit more about me or sign up to my mailing list, you can do that at www.robbyswale.com. If you want to read the 12-minute method books, you can find out more about them on my website, you can find them on Amazon, and you can find them in lots of other bookshops and booksellers um, around the world. You might want to come and join the 12 Minute Method Facebook group. You can find that by searching for the 12 Minute Method on Facebook or there's links on my website. Um, And you can find some other people there who are interested in in doing work that matters to them and finally doing the things that they want to do. You can find me on lots of social media platforms. Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn, so you might want to find me there. Um, And most of all, I'd, I'd love to hear from you, especially if something that I've made, has inspired you to finally do something you've been meaning to do for a long time. Um, that th- hearing those stories are some of the most meaningful things for me in my work. And so um, they help me keep going when I might want to give up. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you. But most of all, I'd love it if you did that thing, uh, that thing that matters to you that you've been meaning to do.